Hello and welcome to another episode of Fintech Focus TV with me, Toby Babb. Today I am absolutely delighted to have in the studio Chris Burke from Brickington Consulting. Chris, we've got so much to speak about today and I'm really, really excited to get into. The consulting world has been uh, absolutely manic of late. We've been hearing loads about the regulatory landscape uh, and changes very much the mode du jour. Loads and loads to unpack and all of that, but before we get into it all, can you tell us a little bit about Brickington Consulting, please? So, Brickington Consulting Firm, we founded in 2010. The reason we came about was about implementing actual change. So what we'd sort of seen in the market prior to that is people talk a lot about change, maybe do a nice PDF, a nice PowerPoint, but actually getting into the nuts and bolts of changing the processes, changing the tech, that's what why we came about. And mm. so we've been sort of around since 2010, operating in UK, Poland and India now, and um, an office in the US, uh, and that's basically our reason for being. And that, that whole world, as I said before, is uh, of change at the moment, has been massively increased, hasn't it, over the course of the last uh, last couple of years. We've seen digital transformation take you know, enormous strides. Has that sort of coincided with uh, with real take-up of Brickenden? Is it, is it, it know, has. Come at the hour, come at the consulting firm? I think we found uh, off, off the back of Brexit, there was a general concern in, in the large financial firms we work with to not actually implement things. They were, they were holding off decisions. Then, then when COVID hit at the start of 2020, we were in a position that, that a lot of firms, again, were holding things back. Then they realised all their business models had to change and the accelerator went down and we've been incredibly busy for the last last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so, and navigating people through through periods of, you know, I guess that when, when, you, when we look at what's driving that change, there's been digital transformation, but there's also been a lot of regulatory change, which is, you know, I guess if you started in 2010, that was right in the eye of the storm of regulatory change. Right? It was. So we've seen, it was. We've seen things uh, develop at pace all the way through, and it hasn't it hasn't gone away, and it's not going away. Tell us about what the what the uh, what the landscape looks like in that change in regulatory space. Well, I think what we've seen is, as you've you've said there, we've had a lot of change come through over the years. It does tend to come in waves, and mm. we do find that firms, you know, rush to get something done, then they take the foot off the accelerator and then rush again. We're seeing at the moment, having completed the non-dollar LIBOR changes um, previously, that firms have now sort of taken the foot off the accelerator. And 12 months from now, we, we go live with, uh, with with dollar LIBOR, which is going to be a, a huge um, impact on, on firms that I think a lot of people are a little bit late to uh, to get themselves up and, and motivated to, to, to make those changes. <laughs> I think the motivation aspect is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because you, you're right, it does feel like... Um last minute homework when regulation comes up, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, if we go back to some of the major things we've seen over recent years, MIFID II in particular just felt like an, an all-out panic toward, to, you know, towards the end, end of it. So I think you know, when you're seeing these these changes happen, and, and uh, as you say, June's the, de the deadline for uh, WIBOR, what's, uh, what's your advice? What are you seeing out there? You, you're seeing this complacency or maybe over-regulation and, and regulationary uh, regulatory fatigue. fatigue. Yeah. Regulatory fatigue, yeah. Come into in play. That's that's a natural sort of thing with so much stuff that's that's come through, but it's obviously not the right pathway to it because there's going to be an awful lot that needs to happen at, at, at pace over the course of next year to, to catch up with that. And it does feel like a long, you know, if you're talking about June 2023, it does feel like a like a fair whack away, doesn't it? Absolutely. What's your advice? Tell us what's happening. What are you, what are you talking to companies about at the moment? I, th I think at the moment we need companies to realise that that getting prepared early is going to mean that they're they're not going to have that mad panic at the end. Mm. There's there is you know very very good opportunity very good opportunity right now to to get 
these things done so you're not going to be sitting there in Q1 or Q2 next year and, and really struggling to get you know, your clients across the line um, of the changes from, from dollar LIBOR to the, to the new rates. Mm. And I think that's a, an interesting play, isn't it? Because people will look at that and see those sort of uh, manana sort of uh, mentality to it. But if you're sat there and you're you're talking to customer or clients who are who are sort of sat there in that sort of mentality, what allows what is the, the the shift that makes them suddenly think this is actually something which we need to accelerate into? How, how, how do you articulate that to your customers? I think just understanding the the, the scope of the change. When, we, when we're changing one of these these reference rates, where you know we're changing contracts, we're changing valuations, where we're we're changing the way we run settlements. There's an enormous number of changes that need to happen yeah. and those things can't happen in in a, in a, in a few days or, or, or even a few weeks yeah if we're talking about the bank's legal team talking to a client's legal team sorting out some of these changes and then all the systems processes that follow on from that yeah it, it is a lot of work and it isn't something that can be done in a, in a very short period of time yeah. so so the early preparedness would get you to a state where you're not going to have this mad panic at the end. And there's no reason not to do it now yeah. because everything's set up to do it as from, from, from now. And so with, with companies who've got you know, increased compliance and regulatory teams that have naturally come to, you know, to life because of everything that's changed over the last decade or so, mm-hmm. why, why do people reach out to a Brickenden to help do that? What, what, you know, obviously, they're paying for expertise and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're peace of mind and, and knowing that this is going to get done and this is your day job, right? So this, Absolutely. Is, this is where it comes into it. But tell us, what the, tell us about the value that you can bring. So the, the, what our USP is, is we're very, very good at running change in regulated environments. Mm. That's, you know, if you're going to strip back across anything that we're doing, that's, that's what we do. So, so when you look at scaling up a team or you're looking at some, some complex change situation, we will come in, we bring experts in who know at a very high level of competency the details of what needs to be done, and then we put our methodology to run that change. Mm. So the significant thing that we do, I think, compared to some of our competitors, is we, we hit the dates and, on budget and on time. And mm. that's that's you know it sounds cliche, mm. uh, but that, that's that's I think why we have been so successful over the past you know, 12, 12 and a half years. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's uh, yeah that's pretty much essential when you're looking at this sort of stuff as well, right? If you're if you're thinking about what's important uh, in you know, a, a change like this. That on date and to time and to budget is is critical. Absolutely, absolutely. So get your crystal ball out and, and have a look at what's going to happen in this because you know, no matter how much we talk about this, there's still going to be companies there that uh, that that are in that panic. You know that that sort of uh, that last six to three month chase or whatever mm-hmm. in in 2023. How can how do companies uh, avoid that? I think you probably answered a little bit of that that bef- that beforehand, but also. What are the implications for businesses there that are chasing? What are they going to have to do, and what does it feel like for them on the other side when when, when that's happening? You mean once the changes happen? Once it, no, that's when before they get to that that specific phase. So, let's say that people are maintain complacency at the moment and uh, say, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, yeah, we've got a load of stuff going on at the moment. Let's say they, they wait and they and it, they mm-hmm. do wait late to to make this. What are the implications to them of that happening? What's that look like for them? Well, I think first of all, understanding the scale of the problem. So, mm-hmm. so there might be a little bit of ostrich, you know, head in the sand situation where where firms aren't really aware of exactly what what the scale of the change that has to happen. Yeah. Then once they've assessed that, they're going they're going to go through that phase of. Oh gosh! Yeah, let's use that phrase. Um, we we have. I've heard that many times. <laughs> in other ways, um, yeah. um, we've got now got 
all these clients, all these contracts, all these you know systems that need to be changed to make this happen. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you'll get to that stage of mad panic. They will then probably all go to market at the same time, be looking to bring in resources with the skills of yeah. which there'll be a contracted pool. Yeah. And as we saw with you know everything from Dodd-Frank to Amir to Mifid to GDPR, all these things as they've come through, we've seen that that talent pool skyrockets in terms of price. price yeah. So again, in terms of just if they're looking even at their budgets to make these change happen, it'll be it'll be much better to get on the board early and get it done yeah. before you're then in that feeding frenzy. Pain, yeah, pain of, with guns, guns yeah, to your head. Exactly, yeah. when everybody's trying to do it and you'll find that you know talent that maybe isn't at the same level will be charging a premium price because they, they have some experience in this domain, whereas you'll be able to get the best talent early on and, and, and be far more cost effective. Get ahead of the game. That's interesting, isn't it? And and with, with that, let's look at the implications. So so companies do get this wrong. They then can't find the talent to be able to implement the change necessary for it. They're left holding the baby a little bit with it in June. They mm-hmm. haven't got everything in line. What's the implication there? Well, there'll be regulatory um, concerns and then obviously the, the rates stop coming through. So you, yeah. you, they're going to stop publishing eyeball rates in yeah. June next year. So you won't even be able to value that those those instruments going forward so there is a real so a, yeah, this, is, this is significant it, it, it is a cliff yeah 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 and uh and it applies i guess across across the industry as well so everyone's getting involved in this everyone's thinking about this but but people from your uh from your understanding and your view aren't moving quick enough just yeah it, it, it we've seen this in other regulatory change that's come through there's sort of a general um Thing, yeah. general fatigue, a it is a regulatory fatigue but it also is a situation whereby you have so much change has happened that people do want to pause and, and yeah, take yeah. breath where a little bit more structured approach going through saying, yes, we're going to get on board with this, yeah. getting it closed off and things will be, be, be you know, much, much more structured. Much better, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's your answer. So yeah, I think we're sort of looking at the, the dollar, dollar um, eyeball changes being bigger than yeah. any of the others, obviously being, being dollar. And the, the last paper I read said there was going to be $74 trillion of right. instruments that needed to be transferred. Wow. So... If you're thinking about that's the sort of still the scale of the problem, yeah, yeah. Um, there is an enormous amount of work to do for, for firms. And the companies that you're working with now are getting ahead of this already? They're starting to. They're starting yeah. to, to, to mobilise, but I think there's still um, some way to go for, for some to really to get to the same pace that they were doing the previous eyeball transitions because we've gone through a lot of the dollar non-dollar eyeball changes at, at banks. Yeah. So, so now we're on to the... the so it's nothing new and people should know what Something they is, should know yeah. what to do, but yeah. this is obviously bigger and potentially more complex as well. Yeah. So complexity, yeah. And, and, and I think one of the one of the areas that the smaller firms particularly may not be on top of this, like the bigger firms, so they need to okay. sort of understand where they are so that they're able to not leave themselves exposed because if we do end up in that war for talent, yeah. the smaller firms will find it much harder to get that talent. Yeah, because you just get blown out by yeah, it, don't they? exactly. And, and do you see that as, as, as an adoption curve? Do you see the bigger companies going earlier and then the smaller companies following, or is it small, you know, more nimble? No, it's definitely the, the, the bigger firms and the leading firms move, move first. Just because they've got bigger teams. To bigger teams, sort of stuff, big, yeah. bigger scale of the problem, and bigger budgets, really, yeah. for this change. You know, if you've got a so it's those sort of tier two, tier three okay. banks that you're looking at to... You know, to, to, to Give you, yeah, rattle your saber, give you a call to arms and say, come out and get involved in this. Exactly. I'm also interested, you mentioned it beforehand, right at the top of what you were talking about, about your, you know, the setup of Brittenden. Because you say, look, it's uh, 12 years, we started the same year, um, 12 years of, uh, of really successful growth. And it's a company I've heard about, you know, consistently all the way through the process. Um, you've done really well. 
and I, and I think it's you know with, with consulting there's you know there's a, a lot of stigmas sometimes that get put put around it particularly when you know you have a model there which you mentioned beforehand where you've got UK presence and then you're also looking at Poland and, and India alongside that as well now get that right and it's electric get it wrong and it's not quite so promising for for, for, for customers talk to us about how you've got that right and what's uh, you know how, how that works as a, as a model for you so if we look at the first six or seven years of Brickenden, we were a we were a firm that operated primarily in the UK with a little bit in New York and we were leading the teams here to do the change. Mm. We were finding that we were working with clients who wanted to get the, the you know, lower price points or, or blended rates that you could achieve working in lower cost locations. Mm-hmm. And that, that really is outside of London and outside of New York. So in New York, people were looking at Florida, they were looking at North Carolina, yeah. Dallas, et cetera, to, yeah. get, to, get a, to get a lot. Within the UK, it was to look very much into Europe and to see where you could get a blended rate. Yeah. Um, so we were continually working with firms in those locations, contracted by the banks, mm. who we weren't able to control the quality of what those teams were doing. So in 2017, we made a decision to, to open in Poland. So we're about to hit our fifth birthday out there with the idea that we would go in with the same model we had here, which was you know very talented, very, very, firms with a lot of expertise. So, mm. so people with a lot of expertise to bring into our firm. Where I think where our model differs from other consultancies is we go and hire people out of the line. So we would take someone who'd spent 15 years in Bank of America working in their... Um, prime brokerage business or their um, head of market risk, that's the person we'd hire. We wouldn't hire from a consultancy who'd, who'd, who'd sat on the outside. So that sort of deep domain expertise has always been our model. Mm. So we've taken that same model to to Poland and in the last 12 months to India with the idea that we can now bring up those teams and run that change. And it's been it's been very successful for us across across all our clients in terms of driving that change, but also being able to get a better price point. I think that's, you mentioned it there, it's a word which I use a lot, which is talent, or two words I use a lot, which is talent density. Mm-hmm. So I think when you go into there, there's, there's two ways of, of, of doing it. There's the classic sort of body shopping sort of, uh, of sheer weight of, weight of traffic, or, sure. there's, or there's actually looking for domain expertise. And within that, there is plenty, right? And, and you're talking about two, two countries there that are jam-packed full of, of, of talent. When you, when you're hearing people looking at that and then they they see that within you know your sort of armory, how do you how do you give them the comfort around the sort of talent that you've got within that business? So we, we haven't changed our model in terms of guaranteeing delivery from from London. So if we go and sit in in the London office and we're running a program from here where the, where we have talent in other locations, mm. that hasn't changed. If it was ten people in London or it's two people in London and then eight spread across Poland and India, that hasn't changed. I think this, the second thing that I would, would probably say is that over the past decade, there has been a big shift in talent in you know, the, the Poland's and the Indies. Mm. Where, where those two countries differ from other, other areas is, is the, right, the scale. Mm. So if you were to go into some of the other um, Eastern European countries, you would not get the scale you could get in Poland. Mm. Um, similarly, you know, India has an enormous pool of talent. I mm. think, I think the stat I read a few weeks ago was that there's more engineers created every year in India than there are in, in, in all of the UK. In Is that right? it's, it's something along those lines. It's a stat along those lines. Yeah, yeah. So, so we have enormous it's talent. It's not surprising, but, actually, when you think about it, is it? Yeah. But, but we're, we're, we've now been able to hire in India people who have been running global programs from India you know, on their own. So we've yeah. got, I would actually say that the, the quality that we're getting in those two countries 
in, in the first year or two of the business has yeah. been has been stronger than we were originally got in the UK, yeah. which is really quite quite something because yeah. I think we've come with an established brand and those sort of things. So yeah. so we've really been able to do that and to control that quality. So so you know our business is all about ensuring quality of delivery, uh, and if we're not able to do that, then then we don't have a business, quite frankly. I know you you travel a fair amount uh, within now, yes. within within that as well, but um. Talk to me about the, the, the sort of uh, challenges, I guess, of, of, of building the teams out in those environments. Because as you say, look, you can have uh, fantastic individual talent. I've got some friends who are doing exactly the same thing, um, just recognising the, you know, the pockets of talent elsewhere to get, you know, to get around the talent, you know, the talent shortage that we see full stop at the moment. But I think where the, the differentiator, differentiator for me where talent thrives in those sort of areas or, or, or falls away is around the, the level of leadership and how you set that up to you know, sure. to, to thrive. So I imagine you've got really strong leadership teams in both. How did you manage that? Well, um, a very good question, I think. And that that's, you know, we did find some challenges with that um, on our expansion early on. So we moved um, Bala, who's a partner in the business. He's moved out uh, about three years ago to Poland okay. and to run Poland for us from there. So he was very senior in the, the, the UK team. 20 plus years experience in, in, in financial services. He's moved out there and, and really ingrained our culture mm. in, in Poland as we had here. We are now, I guess in terms of India, we've again got someone very senior, Arvin, who runs that for us out there. And we've known him for a number of years. We're, we're making a lot of regular trips out there to make sure that the culture and everything is, is, mm. is ingrained within, within the business out there. And that, from, from our point of view, we look at that as the most important thing. If we don't look after our people, we don't invest in them, then we are not going to be able to serve our clients. And, yeah. and we've had, I don't know how many people now have come to us and said, you know, we, we're staying here because of and not because of the client work we're doing. And yeah, yeah. That's, that's really important to us that we really look after those. The, the, the so, so I'm really interested in this. This is a sort of a personal uh, project for me about the, about sort of maintaining culture as you go into different cultures, you know, mm -hmm. physically in different countries. And and I'm interested the way you put you know, uh, Bala, I think you mm -hmm. mentioned that out in out in Poland and, and was able to sort of build the culture. How much is are there, are there culture clashes between you know, what you'd say is, is the classic sort of this is what who, who and what we are, we're putting it into a different culture, particularly in India, um, where I've heard some brilliant stories uh, recently. I, there's a fintech focus with Comsize who, mm -hmm. who've really adopted the uh, the culture of both businesses over to the, you know, the India and UK operations. Tell us some of the sort of lessons that you've taken out of, of, I guess, imposing culture, but also accepting ingraining cultures from both of those different countries as well at the same time. I, th I think for for us as a firm, we we we've always been um, a meritocracy, which yeah. is very important to us, and that we we don't care who who the person is or where they come from. We literally, if they've got the talent, they they move up in the organisation. I think taking out a people first. So when we look at our strategy, the very first thing is our people. So mm -hmm. we have three things that we go through: you know, our people, our clients, our our our, our thought leadership. They're the, they're the three pillars to our business. Mm -hmm. Looking at our people being the first thing and making sure, you know, we, we, we often talk to our, our employees about family comes first. Mm. So if you've got a sick mum or a sick child or a sick dog, go sort that out, then come back and, and, and be passionate about your work. And mm. that's a really big thing to us. So that message going into other cultures seems to resonate with us. And I, and I, I think the other side of it is we don't pay lip service to that either. We actually really believe that. Mm. And we would... There'd be dozens of examples of people who've gone on full pay for leave, for illness, for um, compassionate leave, or whatever that is across our you know, 12-year history. Mm. That, I think, is a standout in the organisation. I mean, we really 
we don't want people to come to work at Brickin and go, oh, okay, I'll work at Brickin. Uh, our stated aim, you know, on, on our goals is to have staff and clients as fans. Mm. So yeah, if a fan, yeah. a fan is evangelical about your business, they actually love working there, but that goes two ways. Yeah. And if we didn't genuinely care about the people who work for us, we wouldn't be able to carry it off. Yeah. I love that whole raving fan sort of concept, isn't it? About, about people there who, who uh, are not only just uh, embedded into it, but will go out and talk about it and, and spread the word, which has obviously been good for uh, for business growth as well, I imagine. I, I mean, yeah, unbelievable. I mean, we've had, we've had uh, you know, some of the best years, all the best years we've had. We're, we're bigger now than we've ever been, almost double yeah. uh, where we were a couple of years ago. And yeah. It's, yeah, it's been very, very strong. But that's, again, because that culture now is ingrained and that's now going down that our, you know, our top level, next level, next level, all think the same way. And then as people are coming into the organisation, they're, they're, they're getting that message that we do genuinely care about them and, and yeah. want to look after them. And I guess that came to the fore, didn't it, particularly over the last couple of years? And, and there's two things I want to talk about on that. Number one is the sort of challenges that, that, uh, that you, you, know, you, you faced in those early days. And I imagine a lot of those values you mentioned there were, were, were critical in, in sort of keeping things moving at that sort of time. And I think any consulting business by nature of you know, people-led business would have had concerns as, as, uh, as the pandemic uh, gripped. I think I mentioned to you before that I was driving home with a friend of mine on, on, on that who's you know, a partner in a uh, consulting firm. And uh, we were both just sat there saying, right, we've got no idea where this is going to go in March, to, <laughs> March 2020. Yeah. And yet within you know, a matter of months, they, 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 they sort of came through and, and uh, everyone was set and, and consulting came to the fore like never, never before. Now within that, as you know, things became more remote during those sort of period, those sort of periods, and businesses were, you know, never been bigger before and doubling sizes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That became, you know, there, there also were challenges there about, you know, culturally embedding teams, you know, who hadn't necessarily met or, or worked together and all those sort of things. You mentioned the word thriving with with Britain a couple of times, so that's obviously been managed really well, and you've put some thought and care into that. How's that work for you? So there's a couple of things that we we looked at in 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 terms of how to make that work. So during those those COVID years. Um, or COVID periods, let's just say, uh, we had a situation where work became relentless. Mm. So you were locked in your house, um, and in some, so for example, in, in in Poland, for example, they were locked in their house. They yeah, weren't yeah. allowed to leave. We were at least getting some exercise in, yeah. in the UK. You were not allowed to leave your apartment block. It was pretty yeah, pretty severe. Yeah, so different levels, weren't they? So people are falling out of bed at seven o'clock in the morning. They've sat their kids down to to do what they and they they're, they're jumping online and they're working. And until 10 o'clock at night, people were working. And, and we were watching our, our people go through this phase and then we realised that this, this was not good for, for anyone. So we, we had a situation that we implemented. Well, we, we, what we implemented was between 5 and 7.30 in the evening, you were not allowed to work. Okay. It's quite simply, you were not allowed to work. Yeah. And it sounds like a bizarre thing to implement when we've got all these challenges for clients. And we just said, tools down. Go and have dinner with your family. Go and take some time out. Read a book. If you are allowed to leave, leave your home. Go for a walk. Do something. Whatever. Yeah. Just get away from get away from work. Yeah. And, and the reason is because it just became dawn till dusk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, every day, and it became. We just saw that the the well being of our staff would, was declining. We, yeah. we just weren't happy about that. We then did did the, the things that other firms, you know, a few other firms we know of did, where we did you know um, online quizzes. Mm. You know, team meeting. We, we we made made our team meetings a lot more friendly, I guess, in terms of you know, right, where are we? This you know, okay, looking at just you know, the kind of conversations you have in the office yeah, yeah. when you walk to have a cup of coffee and you yeah. talk about something. We made sure that they came into our our daily stand ups because without 
that kind of connection than people that was just work, 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 work. So there's a number of those different things that we really felt were important. And how, and how many of those have you continued on? Because I think that's a really interesting thing. I, I think a lot about legacy from that period. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are loads of things that I can think about in our business that, that have been much better you know, post, you know, I hesitate to say post-pandemic because everything's still, you know, I've just had another meeting cancelled because someone's got got it. So it's back in, it's yeah, back in yeah. play a little bit. But, but you know, if, you, if you're looking at, at the, the sort of eye of the storm and where we are at the moment, there's still, um, you know, various bits and pieces there where you want to go back and you want to look at those and you want to look at what you've improved efficiency-wise throughout your business. Sure. What are some of the things there that, that, that are, are, here, are here to stay? What are some of the things there that you think, right, because of that, we're a better business. So, so just this morning, I've come off one of our, our teams call, uh, and you know, we're currently looking for I think somewhere about two hundred people to come into various projects that we're wow. that we've won, and you know uh, that will you know, almost double us again. Yeah. And, and on that meeting of which we've got more to cover in that thirty meeting thirty minutes with with you know, the global leaders of the teams and and the the resourcing teams. We spent the first ten minutes just talking and joking about the weekend. Yeah, yeah. So that, again, is very important, but we've got teams in five locations in Poland, two or three in India, you know, um, Scotland and also in, the, in, in London. Yeah. All those teams come together. We still need to make sure that we're able to work cohesively as a team. Yeah. The second part of that, that's, that, that I guess has gone back to normal, is we have quarterly get-togethers where you know, we... The, the senior team fly to the various locations, which is what you saw for me a couple of weeks ago, yeah, where fun. I was I was living on a plane and going from one, uh, working in the morning in, in the office and then, or, or travelling in the morning, party work, work in the afternoon, <laughs> party party in the evening, which which can get quite tiring yeah, when you're, uh, yeah, when you're your fourth or fifth dinner in a row. But, <laughs> but it is very important to get out, see people, yeah, and see them face to face. Absolutely. Um, and people are always a different height when you actually meet them face to face for the first time. So it's, I get that a lot. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things where you, you meet someone and then you realise that they're, they're this big or this big where you didn't realise <laughs> they were going to be. But that's been really important. So I think those... Those two things are, you know, if you're, if you're running a global team now and people are remote, coming in and just just badgering on about work is not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Um, and yeah, pe- pe- people want those kind of conversations. It's more and, human, isn't it? It is, and it, and yeah, it actually. The flip side of that is when people know each other a little bit better. Yeah. They then start to work better together Absolutely. as well, and that, that so yeah. so so that ten minutes is is essential. It's not wasted time. Yeah. I think that's that's the thing that. People have got a lot of deadlines on their plate may not realise. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think there's, some, there's good stuff to take away from it, from, from this for sure. And I think it's actually a responsibility of you know business leaders to make sure that continues to, to happen as, as, as time moves on and, and that becomes more of a, me- of a memory. Let's finish by talking about uh, the future. Um, tell me a little bit about what you expect to see as, as trends in the sector and tell me a little bit about what the uh, the next 6 to 12 months looks like for Brookingham. So you and I do not have our crystal ball out at the moment, but I think <laughs> the the challenges we're seeing at the moment with inflation, with you yeah. know, it's going to get to a point where it's going to crack. Yeah. Okay. I don't know when, I don't know how severe that's going to be, and and I don't think anyone could really talk with confidence. But when we're talking the kind of cost increases we're all having, that you would have to presume that at some point in the relatively near future. That's going to stop, and, and firms are going to have to say, well, we, we cannot hire as many people, and that will spawn a whole number of other changes where they will look for technology um, change to come in and take over some of the resource-heavy tasks. Mm. So 
that's general. I don't think that's that's exactly brain surgery, but it's something that that I'm not hearing people paying attention to enough at the moment in client conversations. It's just we need 20 more people for this project. Mm. Yeah, but but if the budgets and the people are demanding the wage increases they are, it's going to get to a point where that's going to yeah, yeah. stop being sustainable. I agree with that. So that's the first thing. I think we're going to see a large number of changes on the on the I think in terms of that the banks that are realigning and getting more and more um, I guess technology focused in their in their changes and looking for to, just to continue on this path. I think the thing that we we've seen with with COVID is it really pushed that digital transformation further forward than all the pushes that were coming. Mm. But I think there's now people now realise that all these business models are going to have to change and in these enormously complex organizations we're going to see that that just that that's just going to continue yeah but the price the price or the wage price cost pressures people are under at the moment that will also accelerate the tech change yeah and so and i think we're going to have some, a big big divide between winners and losers as, as people invested in that and those who haven't yeah i think there's i think there's massive technology change coming for sure and uh and you know just as 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 the pandemic swept a, a wave of opportunity within that for you know, the agile technology companies. Mm-hmm. I think this is another phase of, uh, of, of growth and change coming where there'll be winners, you know, as you say, winners and losers. Absolutely. And there's definitely opportunity within that. I think you know sometimes people can sort of uh, back themselves into submission sometimes with it. But those who are playing the offense and seeing opportunities to how to improve efficiencies and optimize, optimize processes for companies, they're, they're, there's a lot to be done for that. And tech is the answer again. So, so I met with a um, one of our very large um, uh, global banking clients, and they said to me the other day that they've changed at the top level their metric around the cost savings they're they're expecting from technology change um, from twenty to forty yeah. percent. So, so they're now looking at you know, and that's a relatively new thing that they've effectively doubled the efficiencies they're expecting or the headcount reduction they're expecting mm. from the technology projects they're putting in. And yeah. that, that becomes a really, that's a big, a big shift. Um, and that now is the metric that they need to get funding internally to drive these projects. Yeah. So if you can't show us a 40% reduction headcount, um, you, you're into the, into, into the second queue, basically. Wow. Which, which I thought was an enormous, enor- that's an enormous say, I mean, yeah, that's an enormous reduction in people yeah. that they're looking to do. But that yeah. will spawn in a lot of jobs in terms of creating exactly. that change. It's, it's disbursement of, uh, of roles 100%. into different areas, isn't it? So, so um, let's finish by talking about Brickenden. Um, What's exciting for people to hear about the business and uh, and who should be getting in touch with you and how do they do it? So I think the, the exciting thing I think for our business right now is, is the scale of the change we've got going. We're working very um, extensively across capital markets, across wealth, across commercial banking. We There are so many changes coming in. A lot of the, is it the without getting too many specifics in there, there is reg change coming through, there's, there's tech change. Um, we don't see any slowdown at the moment in terms of our business, and you know we've we've just gone through 200 heads. We're expecting that to to near double in the next next 12 to 24 months, depending Incredible. on assuming we can get the people, yeah. um, which is which is you know a challenge that all firms are facing. Yeah. Uh, to get in contact with us, you know, um, I mean we can give my email up, which is chris.burke at brickenden.com, um, or info at brickenden.com, and, and we're happy to have a conversation with anyone who needs a uh, needs some guidance. You know, whether that's a uh, us doing some sort of free assessment for them, which we're happy to do as well in terms of various areas. The Sherpas through the uh, regulatory minefield coming up. Exactly. Like the sound of that. Chris, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming in and uh, sharing all that for you. And thank you all for watching. We'll see you soon on our episode of FinTech Focus TV. Thanks a lot.